If I ever have one week left to live, I want to live through 15 speaker votes. <laughs> it was the longest week of my life, but it was a healthy week for our party because Republicans are united in making sure that there's never a speaker again like Nancy Pelosi who abuses her power and position. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Republican Study Committee Pass the Gavel Ceremony and Conversation. Please welcome the president of the Heritage Foundation, Dr. Kevin Roberts. We have a special event today, and it's special in and of its, its, its own merit, which is a passing of the gavel from the outgoing chairman of the Republican Study Committee to the new chairman. But for those of you familiar with the history of the Republican Study Committee, which our longtime friend and colleague Lee Edwards has prepared a history of to be released later this year, you know that the RSC and the Heritage Foundation share a long history and friendship. In fact, our other longtime friend and colleague, an equally young gentleman, Dr. Ed Fulner, once was affiliated with the RSC before becoming president of the Heritage Foundation, where he served, as you know, even though you're still a young guy, Ed, for 36 years. So round of applause for Dr. Fulner, who's got real important history both. Ed and I were joking, comparing our respective heritage ties, he wearing a pink tie, if you can't see it, I with a red tie, and he said, Roberts, you're ever the optimist still pulling for the red wave. <laughs> Whereas he is representing the pink ripple, which was more realistic. Uh, that's still a little bit of a sensitive topic, I understand. But here at Heritage, we relish in talking about sensitive topics, like the assault on self-governance and freedom in this country and around the world, but especially in the last several years in the imperial city of Washington, D.C. K Street lobbyists hate it when I say that because they know that it's true. So let me say it again, the imperial city of Washington, D.C. What I love about the Republican Study Committee is its zealous commitment to changing that through substantive policy and great messaging. And so just as we have done in the past, particularly with the outgoing chairman, whom I'll introduce momentarily, we look forward to a very strong friendship with the incoming chairman, uh, also a longtime friend of Heritage. So let me introduce them. They are the stars of the show. It's simply my job today to facilitate a really good conversation. So please join me momentarily in welcoming these two men, but let me permit me a moment to introduce each of them. The outgoing chairman is a wonderful friend, Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana. Jim, a veteran of the armed forces, is someone who is thoughtful inside the Capitol, outside the Capitol. We know that in the present and in the future, he will continue to be a great voice, both on the, the policy front, but also, as I've come to know him, on the intellectual front, sort of heritage's lane. And so we look forward to continuing to work with Jim Banks. Incoming as chairman of the Republican Study Committee is Congressman Kevin Hearn of the great state of Oklahoma, also with Arkansas roots, which means he's just our kind of guy. Wonderful entrepreneur, someone who probably will encourage Jim Banks, who does have a coffee addiction, to spend more of his money on coffee from McDonald's, being a McDonald's franchisee. So we're gonna sit down and have a great conversation as friends, but we're also, to my point about sensitivity, going to be talking about the future, unabashedly, because ultimately what we do here at Heritage and what the Republican Study Committee does in focusing on self-governance is more timely than ever. Join me in welcoming Jim Banks and Kevin Hearn. Yeah, welcome. Well, uh, Congressman Banks, 
you, you never disappoint with the caffeine. I'm, I'm really impressed. <laughs> I need a lot of it. I have three daughters, as you know. I, yes. Uh, 13, 11, and 9. I drink a lot of coffee just to get through the day. Well, my, my chief of staff, Wes Coopersmith, who's a friend of yours, says, Kevin, the only person who, this Kevin, the only person who drinks more coffee than you is Jim Banks. And it's, and it's the same reason. Well, look, to cut to the chase, let me start with gratitude. And I know Congressman Hearn would say the same thing because he's stepping into your shoes. You've done a great job as chairman of the Republican Study Committee. That is both a job with a lot of privileges, meaning you've got a voice and a platform to talk about policy, but it's also one where you've got to make some tough calls. And so as you're reflecting on your tenure, which is coming to a close uh, imminently, what, what's on your mind? Well, I love doing it. Republican Study Committee is an important institution in the Congress. And we started the term uh, trying to restore it back to its roots of what Ed Fulner envisioned that it would be 50 years ago. I didn't want to, I didn't want to say it out loud, <laughs> but um, as the, uh, the intellectual arsenal for conservatism on Capitol Hill in the, in the Congress. And I think we did that. Um, the RSC team, many of the staff members, former and present, are in the audience today. They made me look good. But I also had good training from former chairman, too. Mark Walker uh, was the chairman of RSC when I was a freshman. Scott Parkinson was the executive director of RSC back then. They put me on the RSC steering committee as a freshman member. And that was kind of my upbringing. As, and I got to observe how Mark led, Mike Johnson led after him. The one lesson that I learned that I, I'll tell you that Kevin Hearn has already taken to the next level is that uh, the RSC steering committee is the key to making RSC relevant for conservative policy because the RSC steering committee is who takes positions on legislation and important overall political decisions for the Republican Study Committee. Um, Mark Walker did a good job at this. Mike Johnson did a good job at this. But what I learned from it is you have to surround yourselves on that governing board with principled conservatives who are not afraid of leadership to go against the grain and take the tough positions. And we did that last term. We took 20-something positions in my term in, as chairman. And I know Kevin Hearn's going to do exactly the same thing because the rest of the conference, especially the leadership, they know that RSC is the heart and soul of the conference. And when we plant the flag, that's where leadership knows that the, the conservative position uh, is to be. So. We did that on, on the fake infrastructure bill. Uh, we were the first ones to get out and take a position against it. And it took a while. It took longer than what, what I would have liked. But leadership uh, eventually arrived against it. And, and Steve Scalise, the whip at the time, came to the RSC meeting uh, symbolically to make it known that leadership was going to whip against the fake infrastructure bill as well. The very first position that we took that most of my colleagues got wrong at the beginning of the Congress we took a position against giving Secretary Austin the waiver to allow him to become the Secretary of Defense. And I'll be, I bet every one of my Republican colleagues who voted for that waiver regret it today because of what's going the wokeness in the military, what's going on in the military uh, today proved us right. So long story short, the lesson that I learned is when RSC leans in, the conference and leadership follows. And I know under Kevin Hearn's leadership, they're going to lean in even more than ever before. I agree with that, and thank you so much, Jim, for, for your leadership. Congressman Kevin Hearn, thanks for being willing to step into this important role. 
we've we've met over the last couple of weeks talking about your priorities and heritages and and we know among several issues that we'll work on together will be fiscal restraint so much so that just before starting this this event i noticed you published something on fox news about that very priority so my question for you sir is to to speak to that the timeliness of it dare i say the urgency i know it's a great passion of yours fiscal restraint but also what other priority issues do you see the republican study committee focusing on under your leadership yeah, thanks, Kevin, and, and thank you for what you're doing here at Heritage and the role that you've been in now, I guess, a year, roughly. Um, I just want to give a big shout-out to Jim um, Banks for the role he's done. It's been a real honor to serve on RSC in the last four years, uh, certainly the last two years being the RSC budget chair. Uh, I would argue that the RSC does a more in-depth look at the budget than any other person or entity in all of Congress. Um, Richard Stern, one of your members, is here that works so passionately on that. Um, and then Mark, uh, well, Mark's here somewhere working on that now with us as we move forward, actually producing a balanced budget. And it's, um, it's incredibly important. This is what the election was all about with the American people, with the inflationary issues. Uh, what we saw last week was centered on reining in spending and empowering the voice of the, of the members of Congress. The RSC will play an integral role in underlying financial security of this country as we go forward. As Jim mentioned, none of us could do our job in any leadership position without great people around us. Uh, you have great people here at Heritage. Uh, many have come from RSC, as a matter of fact. That is uh, true. Uh, even Ed, right? right? Ed, yeah, yeah. The employee number one. Um, but uh, it's been great to get to know him and listen to the podcast and the things that he's talked about. I think it is a little different today than certainly in my four years in Congress where I've been in the minority the whole time uh, because we pushed back on really bad decisions made by the White House, certainly the last two years. And, and uh, Jim mentioned General Austin on some of the craziness things and the things he's been doing, whether it's uh, you know, some decisions he's made related to the social activity, whether it's vaccination issues and things go on. But as we go into the majority and the American people are looking for leadership on particular issues, we're going to be this on the steady uh, from a conservative uh, front. You can count on us, uh, certainly with the staff we have, uh, the people that work on RSC, uh, the membership have been getting this message. I've been meeting one-on-one -on -one with several new members to help them understand the importance of RSC and what it means to be a member. Um, my goal has never been to be about me. It's about helping everybody else be successful. I learned after 35 years of business that if it was always about me, uh, I was never going to go very far. And so when I learned about helping others be successful, it was amazing how the organizations that I own, ran, associated with were successful. I see the same thing playing out here in the RSC. I've shared with every member that I want them to leave the RSC, or me to leave the RSC in two years, them looking back saying, my goodness, I don't know how I could have ever made it in Congress if I had not been on the RSC. That it's made me a better legislator. It's made me more informed. And as an example of that, we're going to move uh, in parallel with the conference on issues like the budget window. And we started. We start today with CBO Director Philip Swagel being our inaugural speaker for our first luncheon to help the members understand how this process works in Congress, how the federal government is funded, so that we have a very, very informed 
170 members of the Republican Conference. It's exciting. Look forward to it. Look forward to being in this role for the two years we have it. And again, I want to thank uh, you always. You, you always are challenged by the person you follow. And so I just want to thank Congressman Banks for his confidence in me and allowing me to chair the Budget Committee for two years and the great leadership he did. Well, as I, I tell people outside Washington, and, and like the two of you, try to spend as much time with, with what I call real people, not that there aren't real people in D.C., as possible. Each of you, and this, this is a similarity, uh, therefore, has a real focus on the everyday American. And it seems to me that that's, that's always important in Congress, but it's especially important right now. And that's, there are a number of directions we can go with that comment, but the one that's on my mind, I know it is uh, on, on yours, and I mean this to be a question about the future, not about the recent past. Given what happened last week with the speaker vote and the rules package, and you know where Heritage was on that, celebrating the transparency, room for differences of opinion among friends on that, of course, Looking ahead, you even make this point, Kevin, in your, your Fox News op-ed today, that if we're focused on the policy, that might be very unifying for the conference. Is that what you're seeing in the days following that vote? Is this something that people in the audience, but more importantly, people outside D.C. who are still trying to make sense of what happened last week can look forward to in a very positive way? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think there's probably no uh, more singular question asked of all the members of Congress you know, this right now in this part of the week uh, than what happened last week. And those who, uh, you know, talk about the media or talk about the news that are in the media, um, some classified as, you know, 20 people that were rogue and others talk about, well, you know, this was, this is not good for America. I would argue that the American people were the winners in this because for once the American people have tuned in to see what Congress used to be alike before there were cameras where you sit on the floor and you debated issues and things that mattered to the American people. And if it took 20 people to stand up to get people talking about fiscal irresponsibility, how we got the $31 trillion in debt, how we have wokeism throughout our schools and our businesses, how we have technology platforms that are censoring the First and Second Amendment issues we have out there also, all these things that are out there were brought forth. And I think the most important thing in all of this, though, was what was said and what's come out of this. And that's, again, emboldening and empowering the new members of Congress and all the general membership to have a broader voice in the conference and not just a top-down-led organization. Well, thanks for that response. Congressman Banks, a similar question for you, obviously, can respond to that, but also want to add to that because you have, have taken some of your time to be focused on something Heritage does, perhaps distinctively, and that is the intellectual side of the movement. In other words, where we're doing our job well is when we're, we're paying attention to, perhaps even initiating a lot of the big ideas, the context, our interaction with you and your staff and, and Kevin Hearn and yours and, and other members helps us bring that to reality in partnership with you, given the fact that you have the advantage of hindsight now relative to being chairman of the RSC. Of course, you're still a member. What are the issues, one or two issues, that you think are big opportunities for conservatives, in addition to the important issue of fiscal restraint, that might allow us not just to, to unify, but perhaps even more important than that, actually improve the quality of life for Americans? Yeah, well, let me say, um, just back to Kevin's comments, if I ever have one week left to live, I want to live through 15 speaker votes. <laughs> <laughs> it was the longest week of my life, but it was a healthy week for our party because Republicans are united in making sure that there's never a speaker again like Nancy Pelosi who abuses her power and position. And that's, 
Thank you. Last week was not about Kevin McCarthy. It was about it was about that never allowing that to happen again. And McCarthy can be a great speaker because he can, he will recognize that his power doesn't come from the gavel. It comes from the the members of Congress who elect him. People when people complain about Republican leadership, I always explain to them as we're the ones that voted for Republican. The members and the Senate, the the, the House members and the senators, unless you voted for them, so blame us. And and last week was a good example of. Hopefully, to the American people, to our activists, to our friends, our voters around the country, what I mean by that. Um, as far as the, the question that you're asking is really important, and I got to say, uh, Kevin, and I, I would say this if you weren't here, but you you are here, so I will suck up. I am I am more excited than ever about the Heritage Foundation because of your vision, the leadership that that you have provided here to recognize that this is a this is a new moment in the conservative movement. And uh, recognize not not abandoning the conservative core principles of of who we are and what we believe, but what I mean by that is we understand more than ever before that we are in a war for the future of this country, and I believe that that war strikes at the heart of what is wokeism. What do we do about it? Wokeism is a cancer on this country. It will destroy America if we let it. We have to fight back against it. It's taken root in many of our institutions not just in the, in the government, but in corporate America. And this is where I think the focus moving forward for conservatives has to be is to do everything that we can to uproot it, uproot it uh, out of our schools, in uh, the, the military, um, the, the, fe the federal government, I think, is a, is a chief sponsor and, and um, a, a, a big part of inspiring the woke movement but we're seeing it take root in other places. And I look forward to partnering, because I know you understand this as well as anybody with the Heritage Foundation to fight back against it. Well, thanks, you're very kind. You know, Kevin Hearn said something similar to me in a private meeting about Heritage, and he said, you know, Roberts, I think you're pretty good at what you do because you go to McDonald's all the time. <laughs> and there's a certain truth to that, actually. <laughs> so I know y'all are both interested, far more as you should be in questions from the audience than from me. And so we're gonna turn to you with questions, and. We've got a custom here at Heritage in wanting to get through as many questions as possible. So do me a favor and, and phrase your very brief comment in the form of an even briefer question. First question here. And just wait for the microphone coming your way. Thank you. Hi, Bill Wichterman, um, former Hill staffer, uh, now in private practice. But really concerned about and glad to hear, Congressman, your interest in the debt and deficits and spending, because it seems to me like it's one of the principal things facing a threat as a country. And I think for a lot of years, the party has gotten away from this, and we've got to get back to fiscal responsibility. Do you think that, my question for you is, do you think the people are there to support the kind of difficult choices that need to be made? It's a great question. I will tell you that there's probably nothing more on the hearts and minds of the American people then why can't the federal government do what we do at home, which is balance our budgets? I mean, if you think about it, families, cities, states, communities, all have to balance their budget. Only the federal government can spend wildly. So it's like you're representing people back home, but you're coming up here and doing something completely dishonest, which is not representing them. So we, we, we have no choice. I, I said it, uh, on Saturday morning on a interview that two things that uh, that concern me are in this this agreement that we've, we're moving forward. One is is that I love the fact that we're going to be voting on a balanced budget, and 
we've been given assurances that we'll get a chance to vote on the RSC budget and you know, show a conservative path forward to restoring fiscal restraint in this country. The second thing is that uh, I think RSC has a, uh, an opportunity is to create dialogue with the appropriators and the members, the broader members of the conference. We're going to represent about 75 to 80 percent of the entire conference to bring them in early and often so that uh, we can help fulfill uh, Speaker McCarthy's agenda, which is passing 12 appropriation bills for the first time in many years uh, and, and send it to the Senate and see what happens over there. So we've got a twofold uh, approach here is to mirror what's going on in the conference and follow this fiscal uh, education process, but also get to a point where we can get to 12 appropriation bills that we can uh, push on that are the most conservative that we can push to the Senate. Great question response. Thank you. Young lady there has a question. The microphone's coming your way. Diana. Hi, my name is Diana Furch Scott Roth. I'm director of the Center for Energy, Climate and Environment. You talked about the war on the American people. There's no better example than decarbonization, which is what the other side is talking about. They are unified among the executive branch agencies to talk about decarbonization, which means more use of green energy, not using Americans' natural resources, becoming dependent on China, and completely changing the American way of life. And I was wondering if you had any views about what your committee can do to study this and to fight back an area that they are brainwashing our kids about and are so unified about? Well, I'm from Oklahoma. Next question. No, um, uh, <laughs> um, you, you know, it's a great point. I'm an engineer also. So I, I'm, one would argue that I'm a scientist. Um, do I believe climate's change? They've been changing since the beginning of this planet, and they will continue to change. The argument is it's what's causing it. Um, what you're seeing now is the EU say, well, we got a little aggressive on going green. It's caused us a national security problem with Russia and, and China potentially, and certainly the Middle East. So we have to back up. What we've always been in this country is an all of the above energy uh, solution uh, country. Uh, from hydro, from the, you know, the 40s, 50s, 60s uh, onward, uh, and then nuclear power plants, which have not been licensed since 1975, since the Nuclear Regulatory Commission became into existence. We have to look at new technologies. Uh, the reality is, is, is Oklahoma, you know, the central point of, there's this big state down south of us I won't talk about right oh, now. Oh, we but, know that one, Congressman. But, uh, Come on now. You know, when you look at the impact of what we can have on the rest of the world in sending nice, you know, beautiful, uh, using the former president's words, nice, beautiful, clean energy around the world, we should be doing that. Yet this administration, the Democrat Party, wants to destroy that opportunity and still promote places like Iran and Venezuela and certainly other places that to produce uh, really high carbonization energy and continue to pollute the world. And we've got to be against that. We've got to restore our energy independence. And that's what makes it strong. It's the central point of our uh, energy, our, excuse me, our, our national security interest around the world. Jim Banks, anything to add? No, uh, fundamentally important to the Republican agenda. It's the biggest promise that we made on the campaign trail to make America energy independent again. And if we don't keep that promise, there will be hell to pay in 2024. So I think this is fundamentally important to Focus on this Republican study committee the last couple of years been very focused, but even more will be even more so on Kevin Hearn's watch. Well, a, a mutual friend of, of all three of ours in the audience, former colleague of the two of you, has a question next. Congressman Mark Walker. Thank you. Uh, it's not I, fair to allow former members to ask questions. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> and you, you can see the kind of devilish smile he has. This is going to be a doozy. No, no. I, uh, 
I, I remember being, when I was RSC chairman, we picked the best freshman in the group to be part of that steering committee, which was Jim Banks. And he did a tremendous job in uh, helping us repeal Obamacare to fund Planned Parenthood, et cetera, et cetera. We were back in the days, and some of the staff here, when uh, going against the omnibus wasn't the coolest thing in the world <laughs> as it is now. But here's my, here's my question. I am sensing, I've been gone for two years, that there is a move in the conference that are taking more of these fiscal issues and more of a conservative bent. Uh, it just seems like we're trending that way. Is that a fair assessment? And and certainly Heritage, uh, the president here may want to weigh on that as far as your influence to help us get there. But I remember there were days I was talking with Joanne and Scott a little earlier where certain committees would send spies into the RSC to see how conservative we were going. Now it seems like that the RSC has had such an impact uh, with staff, with other people, that we seem like we're tilting or trending the right direction. Is that your assessment or is that something just a perception from the outside? Thank you. Let me take a stab at that yeah. first. I remember when I was a very new freshman uh, member and <clears throat> we were in the majority, we had a Republican president, Republican Senate, uh, we we long for those days again, um, but we you know we screwed it up over and over again uh, when we ha when we had that dynamic, which is why the voters didn't trust us to get, I think to give us a bigger majority in this last election. But that's a side point. I was on the floor. We had a big we had one of the big CRs or omnibus bills or something, and uh, leadership was pressuring us to vote for it. And I won't say who, but a very respected senior Republican member of sitting next to him. And he said, Jim, when it's a Democrat president, we vote against it. When it's a Republican president, we vote for it. And um, I'll never forget that because that's why we are where we are, $32 trillion national debt. We don't have a choice but to do something about it, yet we have so many members on both sides of the aisle that don't want to do the hard work of, of – um, balancing the budget. RSC has always stood in the gap, right? I mean, this is, this is RSC's legacy issue for 50 years since Dr. Fulner uh, uh, led the way in creating the Republican Study Committee. This is the issue where RSC leads in putting a balanced budget on the table. Now, Kevin Hearn's not giving himself enough credit. Kevin Hearn and I both know the Republican leadership as little as two or three months ago, we're saying no, no way is the RSC budget going to get a vote. There'll be one Republican budget, and it, and it might be a 20-year budget, right? Fact. And Kevin Hearn pushed the pushed the pushed the subject, and out of what came out of last week, got an agreement that the RSC budget will get a vote in this Congress. That is a big deal. That's only happened one time in the six years that I've been in Congress that the RSC budget actually got voted on. And, and he's already showing tremendous leadership <laughs> making that happen. Again. So, Kevin Roberts, that's what we get to go home and show all of the voters all over America. I see Jessica Anderson here. It's a heritage, a heritage action type project to go show every voter at home. How did, your how did your member of Congress vote on the conservative budget to balance the budget and send us down a path? to fiscal sanity again, we're going to get a chance to do that. That's exciting. Yes, it is. I think, Mark, to your point, and it started you know, with many you know, chairs before, certainly Jim and I, but it's about being the steady conservative uh, platform, regardless of the pressures that are put on members to, to get votes. Um, Jim is correct in what he stated. It's pretty frustrating to be asked that, and 
but it was fun to tell them no we won't not we will not not do a budget and uh, you didn't know if you're going to win but I would rather lose on a principle that I believe in than win on compromising to things that I would not be happy with after winning the, uh, the election so here we are um, and now the RSC budget is still that steady state of conservative principles and while there have been critics of this uh, from within our own conference, my response to that, it would be the response that I would ask any of you all to give, then put together a budget. Let's see it. I'm not saying it's the only way. It is a way. And if you have a different way of balancing the budget that is, you know, brings forth where the real problems are, then bring it forward. We have yet to see that in certainly the four years that I've been here. And I'm proud to say, look at the RSC budget, and I will use the former speaker's words, show us your budget and we'll show you your, your values. Our values are a conservative America, a change in the direction of spending, restoring the economic freedoms that our future generations should have and could have if you get to a balanced budget and start living within your means. We'll continue to take some audience questions, but I'd, I'd use my prerogative, if I may, to ask a follow-up question. And it's one of those sensitive points. And the, the motivation behind this question is to sort of commiserate about a challenge as conservatives with competing goods. And this is something that actively Heritage, including some colleagues sitting in here right now, are working on. And that is the desire on the one hand to reduce spending and the desire on the other hand to make sure that our defense spending and foreign policy are appropriate. But those clash in part because, I'll just say on behalf of everyone at Heritage, Heritage Action, defense spending is reckless. It's reckless. That doesn't mean all of it is, but we as a, as a movement have done a less than average job, so a poor job, and Heritage will take our credit for that too, our blame, so I'm not pointing fingers at the two of you for sure, at explaining what our strategy is with foreign policy, what our strategy is with certain defense munitions programs and planes that will never fly. And I don't have to tell the two of you because I know the two of you well enough to know you see policy through the lens of the everyday American. Everyday conservatives have had it. And they really expect, now I'm putting a little bit of pressure on you, but I'm taking some of that pressure for Heritage too to figure it out. You see Richard Stern nodding violently. Do we have a chance, right? Do we have a chance to figure this out together? Members and, and the think tanks outside. I, I would... I'll tell you what I've always said, uh, having been in business 35 years and worked on budgets from being the singular employee to working on budgets with franchisees all over the country, multi-billion dollar budgets. The real issue is, is that if everybody will give a little, no one has to give a lot. Uh, the results will be the same. We will curb spending, we will pay for what we're supposed to pay for, and we'll get our fiscal house in order. Listen, there is no question that in every agency in America, whether it's defense, whether it's you know, the VA, whether it's ag, the list goes on, there is wasteful spending. And we have to have a better look at this. The sad thing is, is that when we reach out as members of Congress and ask the OMB or ask you know, a particular agency to give us what they're spending money on, the response, and I'm being a little bit flippant, but I'm not far off, We'll get back to you within the year. There have been requests that have been in play now for almost a decade that they still have not responded to. It's just so overwielding or unwielding, however you want to look at it, that, that the monies are so great 
that you know that their thought is is a billion here, ten billion there, hundred billion there. It's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. You know, it's the old saying: a billion here and a billion there, and pretty soon you have real money. But I will tell you, every single dollar is the American taxpayer dollar. Every single dollar, for the most part today, in excess of about four trillion dollars, we're borrowing because that's our revenue side, and we're spending six, five and a half to six trillion a year. It's out of control, friends. And what we know in Congress, and we've seen in Congress, everybody's willing to cut somebody else's monies, their agencies, their, their special project, but don't cut mine because I have to go back and report to my constituent. And I will just leave you with this. The person who got me involved in politics was a congressman who was leaving after a self-imposed term limit. It's a guy named Dr. Tom Coburn. And so you sort of know where my DNA is at. Uh, That's I a great DNA, Congressman. Yeah. I lived right next door to his mother-in-law, so I got a dose of this. And when he ran for Senate in 04, I flew him all over the state. I'm a pilot, and it was just he and I. And so this is he, – he told me when I ran for office, he asked me, he said, did you self-impose term limits? I said, I did not. He said, it doesn't matter. Six years, you'll think the place is – you know, it stinks anyway. <laughs> it only took four. Uh, <laughs> things are moving a little faster these days. But um, – you know, we really have a lot of work to do together. It's a true honor to follow Jim Banks and, and the work he's done uh, to make bold positions when bold positions maybe weren't cool. Um, and uh, he, in fact, he made so many bold positions and, and led the RSC that way that when we, we were sort of doing the last meeting together, somebody said, are we going to take positions? Jim said, we must have taken so many that it seems the norm now. But uh, strong leadership, and it's, it's a real honor to follow Jim. Thanks for that, Kevin. Anything to add? Yeah, sure. I, uh, you know, the, the key to this is not cutting defense spending, but in, innovation, uh, more autonomy in the military, retiring legacy military platforms that don't make any sense in a war with China or our, uh, our enemies and adversaries that we face today. And Heritage is so good on this. I mean, what the, the work that you put out here at Heritage on how to innovate, how to get that done, really, really leads the way and forecasts to members of Congress what we need to do. I, I, I led a bipartisan report a couple of years ago uh, on the future of defense, and it all came it all came back to this. There's a clear there's a clear way to do this. I also think about a friend of mine from from Indiana, Lisa Hirschman, who was the chief management officer at the Pentagon, and she she dived into this and tackled reforms that would create savings. They ran her out of town. They literally ran her out of town. Uh, the Pentagon did. And, and um, we got to go back to that way of thinking, those types of reforms, and make the reforms that uh, save taxpayer dollars, but also allow us to innovate and the right technologies to help us compete. Indeed. And that's, that's precisely where I, I want heritage to be. It's where we are. And we've got some work to do there in terms of being specific, given the circumstances that we're in. And of course, that specificity is all aimed toward making your jobs easier as, as you do do them. So I think it's fitting that the last audience question be from our friend Ed Fulner. So he doesn't need a mic, but he's going to get one. Get one anyway. Thanks very much. And Jim, a, 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 another shout out to you. When, when we started Heritage and the RSC at the same time, we always called it an inside-outside operation. You had to have the outside, both the ideas coming from the outside and the outside troops, while you were mobilizing the inside. 
And I want to thank you specifically for all you've done in terms of working with the outside groups in terms of your regular meetings. And I hope, Kevin, you're going to continue that. But my question is uh, a specific one that's getting a lot of media attention and member attention. What's the RSC role going to be on oversight and accountability? How do you fit in there? Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, you're going to keep pushing and, and, and sharpening the, the, attack, the, <coughs> the inquiries? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a real important issue. I, I think when you're looking at some of this all focuses back to China, right? I mean, a lot of this, you know, if we're looking at China and, and certainly what's gone on in the election process, and, you know, uh, there's no question that Jim Jordan is going to do a yeoman's amount of work on the judiciary, pushing back on that. By the way, I, I started to bring it with me. I've got Hunter's laptop. It's laying right here somewhere. But <laughs> Hunter's laptop is yeah. not at Heritage, though. I'm just being really, really clear. <laughs> I think Ed may have it. Uh, but no, so bring and highlight those areas where we can. What, you know, we certainly don't want to get out ahead of the committees as long as the committees are moving forward. Uh, that's one of the concerns I had early on. I was part of uh, Speaker McCarthy's transition team when it came to accountability is that we make sure that the people who are doing oversight do oversight. And, you know, if it's an accountability uh, feature, they do that. When it comes to specific areas with the administration, doesn't mean we won't communicate on that. But we also have to, we can't let that get in front of us doing great policy in the leadership position. And so I want us to be able to walk and chew gum, so to speak, that analogy. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of places to hold. I think accountability also is another play in being accountable for a fiscally responsive nation so that we don't continue down this pathway that we put ourselves in a bad place with China. Uh, I think the whole China issue is much bigger than most people think. Uh, we've got to figure out how we deal with China in a way that protects our national security and our economic relationship and still be able to function in a global economy. Um, I think we're going to have to be look at companies, how we hold them accountable for not doing bad things uh, when given the opportunity and hiding behind some social media platform. So I think all of these things fit together, and we're going to be right there uh, in the communication of what's going on at, on the RSC. So a couple, I'll give you the opportunity for some closing comments. And we always hear try to focus them on optimism. And there's still reason for optimism. But also next steps. And, and if I put myself in, in your shoes, Jim Banks, Kevin Hearn, and we'll go in that order if you don't mind, I'm thinking, what can I get outside groups? Obviously, there are a lot of people here physically in the audience who do important things in the nation's capital, but we also have an online audience, perhaps people tuning in from outside D.C. What can we collectively do to help you, as thoughtful members of Congress, achieve success this year? Well, thank you very much. Thank you to the Heritage Foundation, Heritage Action, um, all of you for what you do. RSC would not have been successful this term without you. Uh, it is a inside-outside game relationship that's lasted for 50 years, and I believe that the, the best days still lie ahead for the movement, for Heritage, RSC, and for conservatives. So I am I'm hopeful because of what I've seen, and uh, really do believe it's a new Republican Party. It's a new conservative movement. Um, we're tougher. We're stronger than ever before because we understand what's at stake. Don't, we've learned a lot of lessons from Donald Trump during the Trump era that uh, somebody told me early in my political life that you don't become a strong leader until you get punched in the face and have blood all over yourself. And if you lived through the, if you served during the Trump era, you, you had a lot of 
you took a lot of you took a beating right from the the left wing media from from the swamp and we learned from it and we're in a better place because of it so uh, keep the Heritage Foundation um, I, I believe is is fundamental to the strength of the conservative movement and under I said it before but under your leadership the Heritage Foundation is stronger than I've seen it in my time on Capitol Hill it's going to keep getting stronger and I'm excited about being a part of it thanks Jeff let me close by um, my comments by actually passing the gavel <laughs> um, thank you I, I was uh, prepared to be the Republican Study Committee because Mike Johnson my predecessor asked me to chair the budget and spending task force and I learned so much from doing it and when I asked Kevin Hearn to do the same thing I knew it would prepare him to be an even better chairman of the Republican Study Committee to maintain that legacy that we have as the uh, the, the chief defenders of fiscal conservatism and, on Capitol Hill and the, and the Republican Party so I, I can't think of anybody better to be the chairman than Kevin Hearn and I'm excited to see what he does over the next two years so Thanks, Jim. There you go. Thank you. Kevin, in response, uh, and certainly in, in, in Ed's reference to the inside-outside, um, in the ma majority, as I mentioned, it's really about bringing a lot of knowledge to the membership so that they feel capable uh, of being able to respond to events that are occurring in real time without having to get, uh, you know, independent voices. And what we're going to do in that realm, you mentioned the NDAA as an example of how I see uh, in the next two years this working, is that we're going to invite in subject matter experts, heritage, others on particular issues to come in and, and enlighten the membership, uh, not just freshmen, but everybody on how uh, a way to look at how we fund the defense, what's going on. Even our defense hawks that will be in there will be hearing messaging. And then, then we'll, a follow-up meeting to that, maybe the very next meeting, will be a Mike Rogers to come in and talk about what's going on with the NDAA. And some would argue, well, that's not until September. There's nothing wrong with getting your voices heard early in the process. Early and often is what my narrative has been as I ran for this position over the last year, as I talked to the chairs like uh, Catherine Morris Rogers and... Mike Rogers and you know the various chairs of the committees, uh, G.T. Thompson talking about the Ag Bill. So all of all these big bills that we know are called must-pass, uh, we're going to have to deal with those. And I want them to be the most conservative must-pass bills that I've ever seen uh, in Congress. And so the only way you can get that done is, uncomfortable as it may be uh, for the chairs, they're going to follow an outside group that's come in and speak, spoken to the conference the week before at lunch to get kind of level set on what's going on and what to be expected. And then the following week, we will have invited the chair to come in of that respective committee to start that dialogue, to get input from the 170 members of the RSC and for them to give input back to them. And we'll start this dialogue along the way because as Jim knows and Mark knows and others know, the way this usually works is we arrive on a Tuesday morning conference meeting at nine o'clock and they say, we're going to be voting on the farm bill this week, and we need your vote. And that's the extent of the education you get if you're not on the Ag Committee. We want to make sure that all 170 members of the RSC have had the ability to give input. 
So two things won't happen. One is, is the chair said, why are you telling me now? Because he or she has had time this entire year to, to come to RSC and present and talk. And the second thing is the broader membership that are members of RSC can't say they didn't get a chance to give input. I think it'll make for a better conference. It'll be a more engaged conference. It'll be one that the American people can be proud of. And that's what it's all about when we get done, is that people are better legislators. The American people demand it. Chairman Kevin Hearn, Chairman Jim Banks, thanks for being here. Thanks for your service. Thank you for doing this event here. Would you all please join me in applauding? Thank you. Thank you. The Kevin Roberts Show is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producer is Crystal Kate Bonham. The producer is Philip Reynolds. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and Tim Kennedy. For more information and to subscribe, please visit heritage.org.